Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Mississippi State University Center for Distance Education, providing online programs and certification at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Distance at State, even there you're here. More information at distance.msstate.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, April 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the State Public Service Commission is investigating cell phone carriers in an effort to get all hands on deck to fight robocalls. Nobody out there has the phone systems except the company, uh, and they need to be doing everything they can to help stop these calls. On Everyday Tech, find out how you can recycle your gadgets. Then we'll hear about a Mississippi program helping some low-income families feed their children after school. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The head of the Mississippi Public Service Commission wants cell phone companies to do their part to stop robocalls. Brandon Presley is commissioner for the Northern District of the State Public Service Commission. He is proposing the organization withhold federal dollars from phone carriers if they don't help solve the problem. Presley says cell companies should also come up with ways to stop caller ID spoofing. That's when telemarketers trick you into answering a call by using numbers that look legitimate. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby, cell phone companies should be doing more. Well, I'm convinced that uh, our telephone companies could be doing more than they're doing uh, about this scourge of telemarketing calls. It has gotten out of hand. It's ridiculous. And it's went from being just a simple annoyance to Mississippians to being, uh, quite frankly, dangerous. Uh, everything from caller ID spoofing, where they try to show a local number to trick you into answering. And we need our phone companies to step up. And so I've proposed and plan to propose that we scrutinize and look to scrap any federal funding that commission has to approve to these phone companies for cellular service until they show that they are in fact doing and making efforts to help stop these calls. They could be more aggressive. They ought to be more aggressive. And uh, we've got to get them to the table. Some like AT&T, they have an app out now. That's a good step in the right direction. But I want to see all phone companies do that. And I want to see them help us stop these calls. They're the folks with the system. They have the technology. And I'm convinced that they could be doing more than what they're doing. I also asked this week for the public staff to open an investigation 
into whether there is profiteering by any of the phone companies through these robocalls. I want to see, you know, uh, who's making the money off of this because Mississippians have received millions of these calls. And while the Public Service Commission is the most aggressive state going after telemarketers in the United States, uh, I want to see an investigation as to who is profiteering. We've got that open now as of this week. I want to make sure before we approve any federal dollars to cellular phone service that they're doing all they can and landline service to uh, stop these calls. And there was testimony in Congress about that uh, this week. Uh, They should provide that to their customers, and they should help us uh, stop these calls in every way they can. And my intention is to uh, hold their feet to the fire uh, to get that done. Do you think withholding federal dollars from these companies goes a little bit too far? I think that it gives them a reason to get on the job of trying to help. What I'm looking for here is to see an effort. I want to see that they're doing everything they can to get this uh, technology in place, and I want to get these questions answered. Uh, If they're, in fact, doing all they can, then we don't have a problem. But I want to get that uh, question answered, uh, and I plan to work individually with the companies. I've already begun reaching out to them to explain my position. Uh, but I think we've got to take a tough line on this, and we've got to get that uh, we've got to get that moving. I spoke with one cell phone company whose position is that this type of action and enforcement should be made on a federal level with the FTC and the FCC, and not so much on the state level. What would you say to that, as well as your opinion of what the federal level does to address this problem? Is it enough? Anybody that's ever dealt with the federal government knows that they're slow as Christmas, and this has taken too long. We have a statute on the books in Mississippi that gives the Public Service Commission the duty to enforce the do-not-call list, and we would be wasting taxpayer money if we didn't use the authority we have as a state commission to enforce our state law. Uh, you know, the company that you talk with, I welcome them to call me. We want to work We want to work together on this, and I want to make sure they're doing all they can. Uh, but uh, I don't agree that this should just only be done on the federal level because uh, we'll be waiting forever to get that done. Uh, we have a duty to enforce the law in Mississippi and to use the powers the commission has to do that. And, again, I want to be reasonable. I want to work with the companies, but something has got to be done. Tell us about the new no-call app that the PSC developed for customers in Mississippi. Is it free? Our no-call app is completely free. If you go to the iTunes store or to Google Play, if you put in MS no-call, it pulls it up for you. You can register your cell phone number. Once you register, of course, we have to give notice of your registration. So if you've not registered it yet, you, you need to get that done. We're the only state in America that has launched this type of app, and we're proud of that. And already 17,000 Mississippians have signed up for it. Now, 17,000 is a good number, but we know we've got millions of cell phones in the state, and we want to make sure we get that word out. We'll be redoubling our efforts uh, to get that word out to Mississippians. It's not enough just to get ticked off that you get one of these calls. You need to report that call to the Public Service Commission, even if it's a caller ID spoof call. You can help us by reporting uh, the information because we want to know what's going on and who's getting the calls and where they're coming from. Brandon Presley is chairman of the Mississippi Public Service Commission. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you for having me. Dave Miller is with wireless provider Seaspire. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby there's some confusion about providers' abilities. They're a growing problem, and there's some misconception about you know what, what can actually be done. There's obviously some feeling among consumers 
because the calls come over oftentimes off through mobile phones or through smartphones that carriers can do something about the problem. Carriers really don't have the statutory or legal authority to do anything about the problem. The authority to do something about the problem rests with the Federal Communications Commission and the Federal Trade Commission. And interestingly enough, they have been taking some actions that, uh, you know, to in- introduce new regulations that that hopefully will crack down on this problem and help reduce it. The Federal Communications Commission adopted a report and what they call a a notice of proposed rulemaking on ways to combat the robocall problem back in November of 2017. Also, at last month's open meeting of the FCC, they approved a second that's called a Federal Notice of Proposed Rulemaking on how to deal with robocalls to reassign numbers. I think that comment deadline has not been set yet, but also both agencies are hosting a joint Stop Illegal Robocalls Expo to highlight to uh, vendors working towards you know robocall solutions. So all of that said, you know we know it's it's you know these calls happen at the worst times uh, when people are using their phones and they really can be bothersome and irksome and you know use up valuable resources and time that people just just don't have. Um, so we acknowledge that it's a serious problem for consumers and businesses, but. We believe that the proposal by the Mississippi Public Service Commission Chairman Brandon Presley to withhold approval of funds for uh, mobile operators in 2019, you know, from the Federal Universal Service Fund, it just it just doesn't make any sense because it punishes the wrong people. It punishes consumers and businesses and our customers. The universal service funds have been an integral part of our efforts and other efforts by other mobile carriers to provide wireless service in rural areas of the state that wouldn't otherwise um, have any coverage or any service today. So it's probably not the best approach to deal with the problem. We feel like the best approach is to get the agencies that have the statutory and regulatory authority to adopt regulations and enforce those regulations, including fines, uh, that's really the way to go, and, and that, that that's really where we think the problem is going to be most effectively addressed. The other half of the call for action, other than stopping the federal funds to cellular companies like Seaspire, is to investigate whether telephone companies profit from robocalls. So my question is, does Seaspire profit from robocalls? No, because it's basically, and this is this has been a long-standing practice in the mobile service industry. Um, basically, voice calling for a number of years now has been unlimited, so there's really not any incentive for wireless companies to encourage or allow or incent uh, robocalls because. Our goal is to really ensure that voice services are being used by consumers and businesses in ways that benefit them, not not through these robocalls. So we don't we don't have any incentive, any built-in incentive, any financial incentive to do uh, anything other than you know provide voice service, which is what we do today. Dave Miller is with Seaspire. Thanks for being on the program today. Well, thank you for having me. For more information on the PSC Do Not Call app, visit psc.state.ms.us. 
Coming up, we'll hear about a Mississippi program helping some low-income families feed their children after school. That's after every everyday tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another. Do you have an extra car that you wash more than most people go to the dentist? Well, save some time and some water and donate it to us. Think about it. Rather than it sitting there taking up space, your extra car could be making public radio. And when you donate it here, you may also qualify for a tax deduction. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilts Contraire, and today we're discussing recycling technology. So, Wilts, when it comes to recycling technology, I'm sure there are many challenges people will face. You're right, Michelle. There are quite a few challenges that we face whenever we're looking at recycling technology. Probably primary among those is what to do with our old devices. I mean, we've all heard the stories about making sure you destroy hard drives and people stealing information. So if it's a device that you've actually had a lot of that personal information on, it's going to probably give you a little bit of pause when you're going to recycle it. And that's where making sure that you're using a reputable recycler comes into play. Now, now, don't forget, you can always take some devices and recycle them by giving them another use. Uh, for example, your old cell phone could actually become a pretty full-featured little toy maybe for a younger niece, nephew, or child. I've seen a lot of people take their old phones, and it basically becomes an iPod for for someone. It may not have cellular service on it, but it can still do the, a lot of those things such as playing games and such. And an important thing to note also is that even if it's an old cell phone, even if you don't have service on it anymore, all phones now by law are actually able to call 911. So, you know, not only will they have a really cool toy to play with, but they actually have a safety item as well. When you start talking about things such as old televisions or old computers and some of these other things, now there are some environmental concerns we need to think about on that. Uh, for example, your your older televisions, the LCD screens actually have some chemicals in them, so you need to actually seek out a good, reputable recycler to make sure that's done properly. Where can people take their technology to be recycled? One thing that I recommend to a lot of folks is, first and foremost, check with your local Department of Environmental Quality. Uh, I know for us around here, our Department of Environmental Quality is very involved with running events usually once or twice a year, will they actually accept those different devices and they will make sure that they are recycled properly. So they'll actually do a lot of that work for you. Okay. You would also want to reach out to some of your big box stores maybe in your area or perhaps even a local computer shop. They should be able to direct you to the right way of making sure that we do the right things and that we're not doing harm for the for the environment. Because inside of these different devices, you've got a lot of different things that could actually be harmful, such as, again, chemicals that are in the screens, capacitors, uh, even just the wiring and some of the other things like that really need to be handled in the proper way to make sure that we don't cause any more harm. So why is recycling so important to our environment and our state? Well, we got to think about it. When we're making all these different devices, you're taking a lot of plastics, a lot of metals, a lot of different chemicals to make these things happen. And while we're bringing them 
out and we're turning them into products that we use, more and more and more we're seeing people are constantly upgrading as well, which means that we run that risk of them making it back into the landfill. So when we think generally about recycling, everyone's probably heard of recycling newspapers or maybe some plastic bottles or or even the old car they have sitting out in the field somewhere. But we've got to also think about these smaller devices and how much they're really building up. And if you think about how many computers nowadays some of us have probably owned throughout the years, um, long gone are the days of the 30-year television that's just going to be sitting there for a while. It just seems like, oh, well, there's a new one that's come out. I need a new one. And in many ways, we've become almost a throw-it-away kind of mentality. Oh, it's time to upgrade. Oh, it's not quite working and doing what I wanted to do anymore. Let's get a new one. Well, what do you do with the old one? And we really do need to make sure that that old one is taken care of properly. And quite honestly, usually when they're being recycled, the old one becomes the new one. You'll see a lot of those same components will be pulled out and they'll be put back into use. So really a way of paying it forward and making sure that we can get the newest, latest, and greatest gadget by doing the right thing with our older gadgets. So Michelle, while recycling technology can definitely present us with some challenges, it also presents us with a lot of different opportunities. An opportunity to make a difference not only in how we utilize the technology and how we dispose of it, but also an opportunity to actually present to our children that positive example of realizing that taking care of our environment and giving back and of doing the right thing really can make a difference, not only today, but well into the future. We will talk more about recycling technology on Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This has been Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Hi, this is Bill Ellison, host of Grassroots on MPB. Few artists have had greater influence on American folk and acoustic music than guitarist Doc Watson. Doc was part of the 1960s folk revival. He was also a star of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band's early 70s classic Will the Circle Be Unbroken album. And he's in the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame. Doc is also a frequent guest in the Bluegrass Cabin, so come see us on Grassroots Saturday night at 8 on MPB Think Radio. Hey, I'm Marshall Ramsey, the host of Now You're Talking, the show about the most interesting people of Mississippi. Join us to hear stories from artists, activists, and entrepreneurs. Today at 10, only on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Advocates across Mississippi are trying to improve access to a free after-school supper program for low-income children. According to a recent report, Mississippi has the largest percentage of qualifying students who are only receiving snacks instead of a hot meal. Data from October 2016 show less than 1% of qualifying low-income children received free supper. That's according to the Food Research and Action Center. Crystal Fitzsimmons is director of school programs with the center. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood more on the report's findings. After-school meals are an important part of any after-school program. Uh, It provides funding to offer healthy and nutritious meals to kids that then help attract them to after-school programs that keep them safe, learning, and engaged while their parents are working. 
what does the report measure? And in terms of Mississippi specifically, um, how do we relate to other states? So the report looks at participation in the after-school meal and snack programs uh, nationally and by state. And, And the data that we're looking at is from October 2016. Mississippi is doing a little worse than the rest of the country, uh, serving about 1,700 kids after-school suppers, um, which is actually a pretty small percentage of the low-income kids in Mississippi who participate in the free or reduced-price school lunch program. Now, why do you think that is? Well, looking at the rest of the data from Mississippi, it looks like there are a lot more kids who are getting snacks instead of suppers. And one of the easiest things that a state can do is actually transition some of their after-school snack programs over to suppers. And when you think about it, a snack can be as simple as like an apple and a glass of milk, uh, which is great, but it's often not enough nutrition for kids and especially for kids who may be going home to empty cupboards. So by transitioning over to an after-school supper, you can provide milk, fruits and vegetables, maybe a turkey sandwich, um, and it really gives kids that third meal that they need to avoid hunger and to return back to school in the morning ready to learn. Can of talk about what that amount looks like of um, students that are eligible and are receiving that supper? We know that there's about 324,000 low-income children in Mississippi who participate in free and reduced-price school lunch. And the supper program is serving about 1,700 kids. Uh, So that's less than one child getting supper for every 100 kids who participate in free and reduced price school meals. Uh, The good news is that Mississippi is moving in the right direction. We saw a 26% increase in the number of kids receiving supper, but there's still a long way to go. Do you think that that's because of um, an increased number of programs or schools or educators finding out about the resources? So the after-school supper program is relatively new. It just came to Mississippi about eight years ago. And so what we've seen each year is that participation has gone up nationally. So I would expect that's what's going on in Mississippi. And the goal would be to educate more School officials, private nonprofits like Boys and Girls Clubs and YMCAs and local government agencies like Parks and Rec programs uh, where they're offering educational enrichment activities after school and bring them into the after school meal program. Uh, What's the connection with poverty and health in children and after school care programs? There is an intersection between food insecurity and obesity. And so families who are struggling to put food on the table or who are living in food deserts where they don't have access to healthy fruits and vegetables have different kinds of issues that can lead to obesity. And then also when families, you know, have kind of a cyclical relationship with food where at the beginning of the month they may have enough food in the household and by the end of the month they may be running out, um, that can also impact obesity and health. So the best thing we can do for kids is to make sure that they have access to healthy meals while they're at school, um, while they're outside of the home, make sure that the family is participating in SNAP if they're eligible, um, and making sure that families have those resources. 
the great thing about the school breakfast and school lunch program is that it ensures that kids, you know, have the nutrition they need to focus and concentrate and learn throughout the school day. And then when kids arrive at their after-school program, they often have not eaten for a few hours. And so providing healthy suppers and snacks is a great way to make sure that kids are not going hungry and then also are able to focus and concentrate while they're in their after-school program. One of our challenges is that we don't have enough public, federal, state, and local funding uh, for programs for low-income kids, and, and we do need more funding for after-school programs to make sure that all the kids who need after-school programs are getting them. Crystal Fitzsimons, Director of School Programs, thank you so much for your time today. No problem. Take care. At the Boys and Girls Club's five central Mississippi locations, more than 500 youth are currently provided free snacks and a hot meal through a federal initiative to reduce child hunger. Ron Thornton with the Boys and Girls Club is asking advocates to get the word out. A lot of small areas don't know about the program that exists or they don't have the resources or capacity to apply for it or don't know how. Period. And so I think that the more that uh, the State Department of Feds um, advertise it, that that program exists, the more kids we can reach. The full report is located online at frac.org. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. At 10 o'clock, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Think Radio.